I'm trying to please myself first. And if anyone else likes it outside of that, great. I'm super grateful for that. But I, in the moment, I don't worry or wonder about what other people are thinking about my work. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Making Ways, the podcast all about the unexpected paths to a creative career. I'm your host, Rob Goodman, and I'm so excited for you to listen to the show today. We've got George McCallman, an incredible art director, designer, and now illustrator who lives here in San Francisco. George has had an incredible career. He worked at some amazing magazines like Entertainment Weekly, Health, Afar, Ready Made, which was a really popular DIY maker magazine. He went independent and then a couple years ago really switched and flipped his career towards illustration. And I'm so excited for you guys to hear the conversation. We're going to talk about overcoming the fear of change. We're going to talk about his first job, everything he learned along the way. And I'm really excited for you guys to hear the episode. So let's get started. George, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So tell me a little bit about what you're working on these days. What's keeping you busy this week, this month? It is a mix on a moment to moment basis um, because there are a few tiers of what I do and they will ebb and flow depending on the time of the month. Um, Yes, I am on a monthly cycle. (laughs) Um, And there are a few things that anchor my practice so that everything else kind of revolves around it. Um, I teach half of the year and that anchors my time. Uh, Twice a week, I'm responsible for nine people's education. And so I have to be prepared to be not just passing information on, but being really present for them. Uh, And that's a really important thing to me. And that's at CCA, California College of the Arts? That's at California College of the Arts. And I teach graphic design. Currently this semester I'm teaching a transition to professional practice class. Oh, cool. Which is a little bit different from the uh, more straightforward graphic design classes. I also have a monthly illustrated column uh, called Observed. And I spend a couple evenings a week, sometimes afternoons, going to events to um, as a reporter, ostensibly, and um, then replicating in illustrated form the people and the moments that I see. And so, for instance, this week my column is due, and so I'm in the process of organizing, illustrating, drawing, painting, uh, anywhere from 20 to 30 different illustrations. I also design the section Wow! and write it. Wow. <laughs> um, other things that I'm working on, I am also branding a couple of clients. So I'm meeting tomorrow for a content meeting for a website that I'm working on. I am also active in a couple of social groups which I'm organizing for a Black History um, collection of events next February. And we're in the process of this fall of putting it together. And so there, there are, there are <laughs> just, few just a few things, different, just a couple <laughs> of things here or there. My boyfriend is always looking at me quizzically. He's like, how many more things can you do? <laughs> 
Um, I, I used to think that there was something wrong with me because I am very much, this has always been my personality. I don't like doing one thing. And even if I am doing one thing, it is splintered. There are a few different layers. You know, I discovered a few years ago that I didn't just think of myself as a traditional graphic designer, that I thought that I had other skills that I wanted to tap into. I took a sabbatical for a year and developed uh, the side of myself that is really the side that I always wanted to tap into. And let's let's hear about that. So you you were working as an art director for these amazing magazines for years and years. Mm-hmm. You're at Entertainment Weekly and Health and Afar yes. and Mother Jones. Yes. And then you went independent. You had your own business and branding, design, art direction. And then you go on this vacation a few years ago. And on this vacation, you had kind of this aha moment that you wanted to really just change everything completely. Yes. And and I heard that you came back, you called all your clients at the time, you said, this is our last last project together. Yes. What, what happened to you on this trip where your brain just went into a moment of kind of discovery and clarity at the same time? My boyfriend and I spent a week and a half in Mexico City. And I had not been that inspired by going somewhere since I had been to Amsterdam like 15 years earlier for the first time. And I remember there was just something about the the smell, the tone, the texture, the community, the culture of Mexico City that just slapped my senses alert. <laughs> That's great. And Travel I was can do just, that, right? Yeah. And I was just dazzled. And I knew what it was that I was responding to. I, I recognized it immediately. It was the first city I had... I had traveled to where I saw the integration of different forms seamlessly. The architecture, typography, language, community, everything was just smushed together and that there was no distinction and it was not a big deal. (laughs) And suddenly I started realizing that a lot of the things that I, the questions I was asking myself was because I was trying to place what I did in different categories rather than just accepting that because I wanted to do it, that was all I needed to know. You're the central theme. That I was the central theme. I was really struggling with, well, if I want to be an illustrator, how is that connected to being a graphic designer? And how is that? And running parallel to that, there were a few things that kind of softened me for that realization. I had started teaching that semester for the first time. And I heard myself telling my students things that I was not applying to my own practice. And I was saying them so effortlessly. (laughs) Right, right. Isn't that the best when you give somebody else advice, you're teaching someone else, and then you're going, why am I not taking this advice of my my own? And let me tell you, Rob, I was annoying myself. I would walk out of class and say, why did I just say that so easily? It just rolled off my tongue. But if I'm honest and I'm looking in the mirror... I may be doing 75% (laughs) of what I'm advising my students so clearly. Like I, I, there was no hesitation in in the advice and the education I was giving them, but I was realizing that I wasn't. One of the things I kept saying is that design is design. 
and there is no difference as a practitioner in terms of solving problems. If you are an architect, if you are a craftsperson, if you are a designer, an illustrator, it's all the same thing. But then in my own practice, I found myself limiting myself by trying to organize how it was all going to go. And I, I just couldn't, I couldn't envision how it could all work together. And then I got to Mexico City and I was just dazzled and I realized that I was asking the wrong question. I realized that all I needed to do was accept the fact that I wanted to do all of them and I didn't have to figure it out. And it was just a really super obvious thing. And when it settled on me, it just settled on me in a really big way. I was also separate from my work. You know, my work was was overwhelming because I wasn't enjoying it. So I knew I was having difficulty because I was struggling, not because work was keeping me from that. But having a few days where I didn't have to think about clients and think about having answers for people, I had the room to to consider my own plight. And when it settled on me, it was just super clear. And I remember turning to John and saying, I know what I have to do. And it was a couple of days after the new year. And I turned to him and I was like, I think I'm going to fire all of my clients. <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, are you kidding me? <laughs> right. And I said, no, it's really super clear. I think I have to start over again. I'm not going to be able to build in time to do the things that I want to do if I'm struggling to make other people happy. I have worked as a service provider for so long that I have got, I have lost myself in this. And it's super clear to me now that I have to place myself before anyone else and that that is the way that I'm going to come out of this on the other side. I have to please myself first. And anything else that I'm doing has to follow that. And so I came back and I started making calls and I spent a week calling everyone and just explaining to them. And I felt my soul was so settled. I remember very confused conversations. <laughs> yeah. People being like, with people what? being like, what? <laughs> okay. Um, and I wasn't bitter. I wasn't angry. Sure. You I were at peace with it. I was totally at peace with it. And I had no idea how long I was going to be doing this. I had no idea what um, what the form was going to take. I had no idea what I was going to be doing. I just knew that I needed to devote time to myself for the first time in my adult life. So how much time did you take from that point of saying goodbye to all these clients to kind of figuring out what this new path will be? It ended up being about a year, but it was not planned. I just knew I was going to give it a good chunk of the year, but I also knew that if I was being truthful to trying it this way, that I had to suspend a need to cloister and announce to myself because I was, I'm, I'm really good at announcing things to myself. <laughs> like and I am now this, I am now doing this. Yeah. This is, this is it now. And I you had I to said, be fine with the ambiguity in between. I just had to throw it out. And, and in a weird way, I had to throw out everything that I knew. And, and that's what I did. I had to just honor the process and not have any organization around it. And so I didn't. 
coming from this background where you had these jobs, you had really clear cut service offerings. Mm -hmm. Did part of your brain think about, well, I'm going to live this kind of creative spirited life. You know, I'm going to get paid and hired for it, but it's going to be a bit more amorphous. Did part of your brain click and go, but I'm going to need to figure out how to put a kind of a marketing structure on this in order to communicate for the jobs or no? I didn't. I took a year off from thinking about that. I didn't think about it at all. But very different from how you were before. Yes, very, 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 very different. And I didn't struggle with not doing that. I struggled. Like that year I struggled, but not with that. The one thing that was clear about the whole time was that I trusted the process that I put myself through. And I never second, that was the one constant through last year that did not let me down. Just trusting in the process. I would sit down, create something, often not know where it fit in and just be delighted (laughs) with what I was doing that I was proving to myself that I could do. Um, So I did that Black History Pioneer series And the next series presented itself as life does. My father ended up being um, rushed to the hospital just about a week or so later. And I ended up flying to New York. And I did a series of paintings and drawings and illustrations to make sense of that very intense period. And I came back and I started writing. And writing for me had always been, that's actually why I started using Instagram. Mm. For me, it was a personal diary. And I have two accounts. I have a personal account that I had for a long time that was private. And then I had a studio account. And one of the things that I realized in my hiatus is that I had two different forms of thinking about it. And a friend challenged me. I asked a few people to give me a creative audit, people who I really, and I do want to say one thing about the idea of community. The community in this city has just been titanic for me. Um, I've been able to go to people that I really trust through this and bear my soul and have the support and that you know, girding. I've been able to like steal myself. And there were many times last year where I thought, this is a terrible idea and this is not (laughs) going to work out. Hey guys, I'm excited to tell you about our partner General Assembly and even more so this week because if you're hearing this in time, you just might have a chance to sign up for my workshop on launching a successful podcast. Here in San Francisco on Friday, October 20th, I'm teaching a workshop on how to launch and run a successful podcast. You'll learn about distribution and marketing and equipment and editing and getting it out there and connecting with the right audience so that you can get running on your own podcast today. And for those of you outside San Francisco or don't have time to make it to today's workshop, there'll certainly be more coming up and you should check out all the workshops and classes at General Assembly. Check out ga.co and if you use the offer code MAKINGWAYS at checkout, you'll get 15% off any class or workshop. Okay, let's get back to the show.
Yeah, and I want to get into that because you're thriving now and you're in such a great place and all this creative energy is just producing from you and impacting the world in wonderful ways. But I want to hear a little bit about that suffering point. Oh, the real. I suffered. What, I suffered. I suffered. I suffered. What was going on during that point? What was kind of a low that you weren't sure you would be able to figure it your way out of? It wasn't a low. It was a continual low. I thought it was schizophrenic. I knew that I was doing the right thing. And I knew it. I knew it deep in my soul. I knew it. But the external evidence of that was just very confusing because I started over and I was just living off of my savings. I had no, no, you know, no funds that would fund this. Right. Right. And no one I'm, you know, I don't come from wealth. And so I've just made the, the earnings that I've made for myself And so it was a very real thing. And I ended up speaking. I was really fortunate that I was able to talk finances with the people around me. I didn't have to hold that back. So when I was freaked out about money, I got to say I'm freaked out about money. And it was so refreshing. It was one of the through lines that kept me sane. Because every time I was worried about paying my bills and paying that, I would talk to people both Rich and poor. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I am so grateful, Rob. I'm so grateful. There were so many people that kept saying, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. Every single time I would sit down with, and there were a few key people that would see me lose faith and they'd say, nope, we see you. Don't give up up. This is a great idea. And here's why, and here's why, and here's why, and here's why. And that is what just kept me refilling my glass when I was depleted. Friends, friends and associates, you know, there were lots of people who, um, who saw what I was doing even before I did and named what I was doing before I did, because I didn't know what I was doing. I was just going on pure gut. And I knew that the time was right, but I couldn't understand how it all fit together. Yeah. And that was really frustrating for me as someone who always had the answers. Right. Not just for myself, but all but my clients. Yeah. And I had I had no answers for myself. And the only thing that provided the light through this process was my process. <laughs> and that's just what I kept coming back to. Oh, I'm freaked out about this, da da da. But then I sit down and I can paint effortlessly. That's crazy to me <laughs> after not having painted in 20 years. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Since, since college and it flows out of me and I feel better than I have felt in my entire life. And how quickly did you get the, the column that you got? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like a week later. No, that was, um, is it in the, it's in the Chronicle? It is in the Chronicle. Just, um, just, just the, just, you know, just the, the, the chronicle. Yeah. Just, just the chronicle. Uh, yeah. I say that jokingly. It's an amazing accomplishment for being, you know, uh, getting into this so well, recently. Well, you know, the crazy thing is I didn't, I, love it. I didn't think it was a great accomplishment until a couple of months ago. <laughs> and I was de- I was detailing the events to a friend of mine of how this column came about. Yeah. And she said, 
I thought you've been doing this for years. <laughs> and I said, no, I've just been doing this for a year. And she said, are you kidding me right now? <laughs> so you just came up with this idea for a column after illustrating for a few months and you don't know that this is a big deal. And it was the first time, honestly, that I was like, oh, no, I get no. Yes. No, you're right. But <laughs> well, sometimes so, when things come, you don't reflect on, you know, when they come easy, that's good. You're, you're going the right direction. But no, but it's it's actually it's not that. OK, it's not the, the ease because it actually is not easy. But where I am is I get super focused when I have an idea. And for me, because of my magazine background, like I know the process involved. So I get deep into the process. So for me, just producing, like I don't stop at some point and congratulate myself for what I've accomplished. <laughs> for me, it's like, okay, that's done. Okay, next month, dot, dot, dot. Yep. And that's always where my head is. So I'm trying to get better and I am better about stopping to say, wow, that's fucking incredible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's only just a couple months ago that even my editor was like, wow, this is coming up on a year. And I thought, oh, wow, yes, this is a year. And it's just breezed by and it's been absolutely amazing. It's been amazing. Um, so I'm going to back up a little bit to kind of say how the rest of the year went. Yeah, yeah. Let me hear about it. Because it was... Um, it was a mixed bag. Yeah. Of, And this is important because I want to talk to you about how people can think about transitions in their career and overcoming the fear. And for people listening to understand that it was really hard and, and how you made it through and how you even assembled this kind of and team it was, and community. It was, it was garbled. Yeah. It was totally garbled. Right. Looking back, everything's kind of easy to explain in retrospect, yes. you know, and, and, and have the perspective. But yeah, please go on. And I was talking about it as it was happening. So I, I had some sense of how the pieces were, as they showed up, I tried to layer in how it connected to other things. And the community, once again, people who I could talk to about the various bits and postulate on how it fit into the grand scheme of things uh, was I was lucky that I had the capacity to do that and that I had people around me that I could discuss those things with and that was really helpful because I I tend to like to parachute up from what I'm doing to understand the framework of it but I wasn't concerned about anyone else's perception I was really just keyed into being explain, being able to explain things to myself. Yeah. Um, and so I had just a random assortment of things came my way. Um, the main thing that I was doing all the time was I was illustrating all the time. I would go on vacations and spend my weekends painting my friends. I would go on vacation with John and want to create a serial, serialized, you know, illustrated telling of what we had had. We went to uh, a friend's wedding and we ended up being in upstate New York for two weeks and I'd never been there before. And I was just illustrating everything. <laughs> and when I came back from that trip, it suddenly dawned on me that I actually could be doing this all, all the time. I could, I'd proven to myself that I had the capacity 
to represent things that I saw in the moment. And so it was that and Bill Cunningham's death. I remember being really moved by his life and moved by his death. And I remember thinking, who's doing that? Is totally is a question that I asked myself. Yeah. Who was representing the high and lows of culture? Who was just moving through life and not judging what he saw? And just he just represented what he saw. And I remember thinking, you know, through my association with the battery, it, it was a weird time where I was just getting access to a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I was qualified. It didn't feel like I was posing. It didn't feel like I was proving anything to anyone. I just felt ready. Yeah, you were in a lot of different worlds and you had the eyes and you had the hands to translate it. And I had been in San Francisco long enough where I didn't feel like I knew the city. It felt like I was still curious about the city. And so I, I remember the idea just came to me. And I sat in bed one evening. I was like getting ready for bed. And I lay in bed and I grabbed my phone and I dictated an outline to myself, meaning that I just spoke about what I thought this column could be and how it could be marketed. And because, you know, I I, I was thinking of all of that and it was the first time that I had thought conceptually and strategically about something that I was doing in that way, where I thought about the marketing, the political, the social. I thought about all the ways that it could show a cross-section of what was happening in this expanding and flexible city. And so I didn't send it that evening. And and I was so clear about it. Mm -hmm. I knew it was going to happen. I didn't, I don't, and I don't know, I don't know why. You knew you were going to make it happen. I knew that it was going to happen one way or another because it was just such an obvious idea. I was surprised that someone else had not thought of it. And I woke up the next morning and I reread it. Yep. And I made a couple of edits and I sent it to an editor that I had met once three months prior. And um, Laura was looking to do a profile on me at the time. And I remember meeting her for lunch and telling her all the things I did. And she looked at me and she's like, I don't know what to write about because you do a lot of different things. I remember thinking, story of my life, girlfriend. (laughs) Tell me about it. Tell me about it. And I took what I took away from that meeting with her is how do I talk about myself? Right. And I didn't know how to talk about myself. I totally understood. And I projected that to her. And so she was equally confused. Right, right. And so a few months later, I remember thinking, I just wanted to answer her question. And so that is, I realized that um, after I sent it to her, I sent her that outline to answer her question. This is who I am now. This is what I do. These are the stories I tell. This is how you can talk about me. And she wrote back was like within a half hour and she said i'm on vacation (laughs) and i think this idea is fantastic and i'm responding to you and i cannot wait to talk about this idea she's like this is a fantastic idea wow and the whole process was it was approved from her boss like two weeks later and then suddenly it was happening (laughs) 
And so this happened in August. And then suddenly I realized, oh, now I have to produce this. <laughs> and so that's immediately where my head went. It wasn't even celebratory. I didn't tell right. anyone about it for a couple of months. Because for me, it I was just onto the next stage of, okay, now I have to produce this. Right, right. And so I went to a few events and did some testing. It was just totally under the radar. Like my inner circle of friends knew about it, but I didn't. I didn't announce it. I didn't say anything. Yeah. I wanted to make sure that I actually could do it. Yeah. And so the first one came out in December. And December was kind of a watershed moment for me because a few things happened. I put out a poster, like the election happened, mm -hmm. and everyone was, you know, emotional and angry and disoriented. But then I, I had several... Um, pieces in the press that happened the same time. And I created a, a Hillary Clinton poster with a, an amazing um, letterpress printer friend, Joel Benson of dependable letterpress. Mm -hmm. And a friend had placed it in her column and it like sold out. Wow. And suddenly I was, you know, I was an entrepreneur for a few weeks and then I ended up getting on a plane and going to Cuba with a few friends and I totally spasmed. And I realized <laughs> that a year later I was in another isolated place where I had the chance to rethink right. what I was doing. And it, the symmetry of all of that just, um, you know, I had a total meltdown and I was just in Cuba, like just trying to what was the meltdown? Make sense. Well, I had gotten what I wanted. Right. <laughs> you so you had a meltdown that oh oh my gosh I had I had realized this thing like I didn't actually because I hadn't thought I could make it work. Right. Like I, I had to admit to myself that I didn't think I could make it work. Yeah, because that that's I, and that's I what you were thinking this, during that year of I just suffering. had this this faith and it wasn't based on anything tangible. And so I was, I was there and I was just crying with joy. Yeah, it was a celebratory meltdown. It was a celebratory meltdown. No, but it was also like, I didn't think I could do this. Wow. I actually didn't think so, that so I, in your, I could So in do your this. gut over that year, that's part of the suffering was that you, you, you kind of put on a brave face to yourself and to the world and to the clients that you hung up the phone with. But deep down, you didn't really think you could... I didn't, I didn't think I'd be able to make sense of it. Yeah. And yeah. it wasn't a sense of failure that I was afraid of. I was afraid that I could not explain to myself why I did this. Hmm. And that was ultimately the thing that, because it's, it's not the external world with me. It's totally, I'm having a conversation with myself all the time. I'm an yeah. only child, so <laughs> I'm very comfortable speaking to myself <laughs> internally. Yeah. And I had a lot of pride around it for myself. And so I was like, I don't think I'll be able to justify this. Like and what I, deep down? Why did I do this? Like why did why, I change my life why in this way? Why did I change my life in this way? Yeah. And the worst thing I was feeling was that I would feel like it was a waste. And but then I would sit down and paint and create something and it wouldn't feel like a waste. It would feel like the best decision I'd ever made. Right. So I basically just felt like a schizophrenic mess all the time. <laughs> Maybe that's part of the reason you were constantly creating because those are the moments when you felt the best. 
Yeah. And you could make sense of it and say, well, I don't know, but I know this feels good and I know this looks good. I Let me keep going. And the one thing that I never second guessed is when I was creating something, it always flowed. I never second guessed and I still don't. If I'm sitting down to paint or draw, I don't second guess any of it. And then it's done. And then I'm like, okay, what's next? And and I knew that that was super special. And I knew that that was not the norm. And so I, I valued it. I didn't take it for granted. And I hope I never, ever do. Because I feel like it's my secret sauce. You know, the fact that my creative process for me is flows. And it always has. The last couple of years, I was totally an angst-ridden teenager, an <laughs> angst-ridden, you know, college college major, and I was always super insecure about the work that I was doing. I don't have any insecurities about my work. And it's weird. It's weird that I don't second guess. Yeah. And at no point in this process have I worried about what other people thought about my yeah. work. I still don't care what other people think. <laughs> and I, I also so hope great. that that does not change. Because it's what has allowed me to be really prolific is that I don't think about what other people are thinking about. And I deep down have honored the fact that I don't give a shit what other people think. I'm trying to please myself first. And if anyone else likes it outside of that, great. I'm super grateful for that. But I, in the moment, I don't worry or wonder about what other people are thinking about my work. And do you think it's that sense of flow that is catapulting you to always look forward and get to yes. the next and the productivity that evolves from that? Yes. The thing about being a magazine person is that you learn that your creativity is not precious. It's disposable. And so you honor things in the moment. And you don't worry about how it's going to be viewed, you know, five minutes from now, five months from now. You're trying to please yourself for when it's printed and that's it. Right. Let's talk about that because I love the fact that your magazine experience basically informed the way that you put together and proposed the Chronicle series, which is phenomenal. And it also now has informed the way you approach work. It and informs everything. Philosophy. Yeah, which is incredible. So let's rewind all the way back. After college, uh -huh. you got your first job and you went to college at St. John's in Queens. St. John's University. Yep. Yes. And you studied design there. Yes. Your first job. I got my Bachelor of Fine Arts. Yes. Okay. And then your first job was in Money Magazine. Money Magazine. How did I was, you? I was an intern. Oh, okay. Okay. And I was telling the story to my class recently of how I ended up there. I ended up visiting three distinct environments to decide what kind of internship experience. And at St. John's, I don't know if it is the same setup, but you take a, your final semester is an internship. It's a full-time inter internship. And you go and you interview and then you make a formal proposal and then they decide if they want you there. And that's how it was in um, fall of 1994 and I went to an agency I went to a boutique design studio and then I went to a magazine and I remember the agency I was really amazed at the time because I met with uh, the designer who ran 
the art department of the agency was a black man whose name I unfortunately have forgotten. And I remember just thinking, oh, wow, there's someone that looks like me in this super rarefied field that I know there aren't a lot of people. And I remember the wariness in his voice of how he spoke to me, like those cadence, those emotional moments always stick with me. I can always read someone in terms of what they're not saying when I meet with them. And I, uh, it's carried me through my career. What was he kind of not saying to you in his, in the, in his voice? That you're going to have to work. You're going to have to work harder than the other people around you. And I appreciated him saying that as a black man, that I was not going to be given anything and that I had to, that if I was coming into that field, it was going to be nasty. And I, I appreciated him saying that and kind of warning me. And so, and I'm glad that I knew that. And the other two places were um, a boutique design studio where I walked in and I knew I was going to be bored out of my mind. <laughs> there was soft jazz playing and everyone was super quiet <laughs> and they were all working and they were obsessing about little details. And I thought, nope, this is not right for me either. Right, right. This is going to like drive a nail through my skull. <laughs> um and I had no reason to be this exacting. Yeah. But as a, as, a, as a student, I just had a sense. Yeah. And I walked into um, Money Magazine and it was dynamic. And, you know, I walked in and, and the um, the organizer for the art department, there's this amazing woman named Erica Howard, like had this beaming smile. And she's like, hi, how are you doing? And I thought. Oh, this is cool. People get to be their nutty selves and they can, and there was like shouting and noise and, and, you know, Money Magazine, like a lot of Time Inc. publications were inspired by the kind of newsroom setup. So there was like an open room with all of the editors. The art department had its own wing where there were, you know, there were lots of conversations. People would meet and make decisions. And I thought, this is awesome. This is, this is, would be really interesting. I feel like I could learn something here. And so that's what I ended up doing. And your internship turned into a job or you just interned there? It and, turned into a job. Okay. And so when we look back on your magazine career, I thought it was really interesting that you ended up spending about two years in each of these places and that was you, strategic yeah so it was so so talk me through that what was it about kind of two years you know is there kind of a learning ceiling that happens mm -hmm. is there just a need for trying something different what what was your thought during those times all of the above yeah yeah um the thing that you learn you peel back the glamour of working at a magazine it's a very repetitive job and as a process, you learn how to do the mechanics of it. And then you spend the rest of your time cycling through your understanding. But it's the content that ends up making things different. So you learn a lot basically by walking around the hamster wheel 
over and over and over and over and over again. When I was at Entertainment Weekly, I started realizing that I wanted to think of my jobs in year-long blocks. That I spent the first year learning about the process, and then I spent the second year learning about the subject matter. And that's what I applied, and that's every single job I've had since was on a two-year mark. You figured out that framework back then? Yeah. (laughs) Wow. And I worked two years at ReadyMade, and that was the second job that really left a mark on me. And in a lot of ways, it set me up for the path that I took. ReadyMade undid a lot of what I knew as an industry veteran about how magazines and creativity could be um, could be drawn, could be juiced. And I met a lot of people that inspired me, basically, and that I'm still very close to, that made me feel like I was ready to go out on my own. And when ReadyMade ended up moving to Des Moines, Iowa, which is a whole other story for okay. another podcast. Yeah, I'm sure that was heartbreaking. It, but it was also time. Yeah. I, it was close to the two-year mark. Okay. And, and yeah. the, I realized the decision was made for me. Right, right. I was starting to think about whether I wanted to stay at ReadyMade for a third year. And I was, right. I was actually thinking that I was going to stay. It was the first job that I wanted to stay. Yeah. And then when it went away, I thought, okay, no, this is a good, the rug pulled out under my legs just right. to say, keep on your path. <laughs> yeah. And um, Afar was the last job. And I remember thinking after Ready Made Move that I was going to open up my own studio. And then a job ended up landing in my lap. And even when I took it, I knew it was going to be my last magazine job. Yeah. I was like, I don't think I have anything more to say about this. This industry, I don't think I have anything more to add. And I'm now going to just start being bored. And I don't I don't want to do that. And I've just come from this holy land of people, of this community where people were just creating for the shit of it and and going to shows and and making stuff and doing DIY projects and I thought this is feeding my soul in some ways and I still I didn't think I was an artist <laughs> at all right I just thought You're I just want to be around this yeah. community yeah and I want to help them and so the first few years of my own studio I spent working with a lot of artists, helping them figure out how to brand themselves. And that's, I was a facilitator and that felt comfortable and natural to me. And that's how I got into this role as a kind of shepherd and steward and mentor for other folks. And then I realized, no, I don't, I don't want to be anyone's mentor. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right, right. I want to mentor myself. I want to have more of those conversations that I'm so good at with myself For my own work. Exactly. Yeah. George, thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you very much. for the conversation. I really, really enjoyed meeting you and hearing about your path. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, guys, that was my conversation with George McCallman. George, thank you so much for joining the show and being so open and giving in your advice and sharing your story and really inspiring listeners with how you've gone about creating your career 
and building this amazing story for yourself from the ground up. You guys have to check out George's work. Go to mccallman.co. That's M-C-C-A-L-M-A-N.co. And that's the same as his handle for Instagram, which is Co. So check him out. Look at all the amazing work he's done over his career and then the brilliant illustrations and storytelling that he's doing today. Making Ways is engineered by Jim Heffernan at TTO Productions. Our intro music is by The Sandworms, and we've got some music by Jim Heffernan in the mix, too. You guys should sign up for our newsletter at makingways.co, where I give a lot of behind-the-scenes goodies and tell you about upcoming events and workshops that I'll be hosting. Also on the site, you'll find original illustrations that I do of each guest, articles, biographies, and show notes for each episode. You can find Making Waves on all your favorite social media, and please reach out with questions or comments. I love hearing from you guys. And if you have a suggestion for a guest that you would love to hear on the show, please reach out. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., <laughs> 